Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. All right, welcome in to Purple Daily. Matthew Collar here. It is a beautiful Monday, and we have controversy with kickers. We've got a preseason game that happened on Friday night that we've got to break down. All sorts of football stuff for you. And joining me, as he will be several times a week, all season long, our journeyman correspondent, Sage Rosenfels. What is going on, Sage? Not much. I am excited that there is football to look at and talk about, not just football to talk about. So right. That was uh, nice seeing some real action. The other night we saw four quarterbacks play. Uh, we saw a, an offense that looked to me very different than what we saw a year ago. We saw a lot of penalties and, uh, now we've got a new kicker slash punter slash holder on the team. So uh, a lot has happened in just a couple days. And we saw reviews of penalties as well. So let, let's not uh, forget that part. Well, let me start out, Sage. We'll get into the game. We'll get into uh, – I have an important Kyle Sloter question for you. Um, but I, I want to start with the kicker slash punter slash holder um, clearly, there has been issues in training camp with both Dan Bailey and his success during practice, and then with Matt Weil not being able to properly hold for him. Is it wrong of me, Sage, to think that asking a punter to just hold the ball for his kicker shouldn't be that complex? Well, I mean, it's like ask a, a punter if doing a radio show is very hard. I mean, you just sit there and talk, right? Like anyone can do that. Well, you know, there is some complexity to it, right? So uh, I held in my career, I was a college holder for three years, sort of the first time uh, that I had a chance to get onto the field. Uh, and it took you really, you know, years and years and thousands and thousands of reps of practice before you really become good at it. And, and uh, you know, sometimes college punters, when they make it to the NFL, they didn't have to hold in college. And so they haven't gotten those thousands and thousands of reps. Uh, and it's a real issue. And I dealt with that uh, uh, in my career a couple different times. And particularly at the end of my career, I was with the Giants. And, and our punter uh, was in that situation, did not hold in college, really struggled as a holder. And finally, about week four or five, they turned to me and they said, hey, didn't you hold in college or something? I was like, yeah. So I ended up holding the rest of the year. Uh, and Lawrence Pines went like, I think 17 of 18 the rest of that season. But up to that point, he was like three of six and really struggling. And, and so, yeah, the holder snapper combination, 
uh, a, a kicker is sort of only as good as his you know snapper and holder a lot of times. Okay, I, I can believe that I'm asking you this, but it's just perfect for like all right preseason football. Is can you tell me what the key to being a good holder is? Um, well, got to have good hands, obviously. Yeah, you, you know, have enormous mitts. Yeah, and, and believe it or not, you know, quarterbacks, even though we're not paid to catch the ball per se, you do play a lot of catch in your life. So mm-hmm. you do, you know, and you don't, uh, you're not getting paid to run and catch just to stand there and catch. Well, you know, you're sort of doing the same thing you're holding. So I think, uh, you know, being able to catch the football is important, but really it is the, the, you know, thousands of thousands of, of reps that you need from the catch point to then put it down in the exact same spot every time. And, you know, every kicker is different, but, you don't have much room for error as far as exactly where you put that ball. Uh, you, you might have an inch at the very most, uh, to, you know, sort of to miss the spot. And, mm. and, and yeah, of course you have to, you know, possibly spin the ball to get the seams, uh, or, or the laces, uh, you know, pointed forward. So it's not as simple, uh, uh as it seems. And, you know, the, a, a really good holder, you never talk about him because, you know, they never make that mistake, sort of like a long snapper. But yeah, it's definitely one of those things that just, just takes a lot of practice. Uh, and some people simply can't do it. Some people don't catch the ball very well. Uh, and, the, and you do see that sometimes, which is then why a team will, will turn to, say, a, a backup quarterback or uh, mm-hmm. a wide receiver to be the holder. So Kerry Vedvik, they trade a fifth-round pick for him, and it seems very Vikings to have everything going pretty well with offense and defense and no major storyline, and then the major storyline ends up being a kicker and a punter and a long snapper. The Vikings also cut Kevin McDermott. He's been here for quite a long time. Who knows how this is going to work out? Sage, I'm not even sure how what like what Kerry Vedvik is going to do. I mean, he can both punt and kick, and if I were putting down a wager, I would guess that he's going to be the punter and not the kicker because Mike Zimmer... Uh, really praised Dan Bailey to the point where he seemed defensive about Dan Bailey and some of his misses, blaming it on the holder, blaming it on the the multiple long snappers. So I guess there's a punter competition now, but when you trade for a fifth round pick, then you're gonna make sure this guy is in there. So that that that's my best Kerry Vedvik analysis. He's gonna talk after practice today, and the first question is, are you a kicker or punter? It's just classic sort of weird Vikings. Well, and, and unless we don't know exactly what's going to happen or what his role is going to be, but we do know he's going to make the team. Mm-hmm. I mean, if somehow he doesn't make the team the course of the next two, he just wasted a fifth pick. So, uh, he's going to make the team. My guess is probably is going to be the punter and holder. Uh, that, that would be my guess. And, and, uh, as I said, a, a bad holder or somebody who doesn't hold the ball very well or a bad snapper can really affect the kicker. They need that process to be completely smooth uh, for them to kick the ball properly. There's such a, a, a tiny room for error uh, that, uh, in my opinion, uh, Bailey's misses have probably probably been more on the holding than the, than the actual kicking itself. So later on in the show, Judd Zolgad is going to join, and he has more opinions about the Vikings' handling of their special teams this offseason. So we will definitely get to that. But, Sage, you had new tape to break down. You watched the preseason game on Friday night. Let me just begin with the first team offense. I mean, they could not have expected anything more or hoped for anything more from the first team offense than to move the ball down the field. They get a run from Kirk Cousins. They get a deep throw, a contested catch by Adam Thielen. Like, 
that was everything that you wanted to see from your first team offense in one drive. Yeah, you saw the quarterback under center a lot, right? The first, very first play of the game, though, there, there was a holding penalty. Uh, was a play action something we talked about? There wasn't enough last year. There was a nice bootleg. Uh, you know, look like Kirk Cousins has run a lot of bootlegs in his career. You wouldn't think of a guy like that who's not a tremendous athlete to be a great bootleg, uh, you know, uh, uh, executor as a quarterback, but he did a fine job really getting to his fourth guy in that read, Kyle Rudolph, back over the middle. Well, it's funny, I watched and the announcer's talking about you're really not supposed to, it was actually, it was Versich talking about you're really not supposed to go, you know, go back late over the middle, but in that type of bootleg, that uh, Rudolph is the fourth guy, and he sort of pops open late a lot of times, and, and defenses sort of forget about him as you're running out there. You know, they're trying to cover all the wide receivers down the field, maybe the fullback in the flat, and then Rudy just sort of hides uh, near the line of scrimmage, and and, uh, uh, and the quarterback found him, and, and that was a big game. So uh, you saw some different things in this offense that I think offensive line better. Uh, I think it's going to make this quarterback better. Uh, we're going to see some good run game this year. A lot of positive runs in this game. Not like a lot of you know negative twos and negative threes. It seems like almost every run was at the minimum for three or four yards. So can we talk about why being under center would work better for Kirk Cousins? I mean, when you look around the league, almost everybody is going shotgun on a very high percentage. I, I can't remember exactly. Someone had it last year that it was... 65, 70% of NFL snaps are now coming out of the shotgun. And here's the Vikings going back the opposite way um, toward under center. Is it just because Cousins has a lot more experience doing that from earlier in his career? Or would there be something that would actually help him about being under center? No, I, I think it's you know about the style of offense that Zimmer's looking for, you know, we talked about it in the last year. I remember complimentary football was this phrase that when Kevin Stefanski became the coordinator with three weeks left, that was a phrase that he used. That was a phrase that Mike Zimmer used, and they're trying to play complimentary football. They don't want to get in shootouts. And usually when you're in shotgun, you're throwing the football more. Uh, and on top of it, the, the, the angles in the running game are not as good. A lot of times you're in shotgun. Uh, you don't have two tight ends or a fullback. It's three wide receivers and, and one tight end and, and your tailback. Uh, and it's hard to run the ball in those types of situations. And so I think they're trying to have a style of offensive football that complements that really good defense. And sometimes a, a good offense, it's not turn the ball over. It's grinding things out. Uh, it's more about quality and not quantity. Uh, and again, doing the things that Cousins has done. Uh, in the past, and and really, I think, uh, maximizes his strengths and make, minimizes those weaknesses. So is there anything else that you took out of the first-team offense? Um, well, I'm trying to think looking back. Uh, it was pretty good, just all-around execution. I think that, you know, they didn't get in, they got in one-third down, I believe, correct, and, and that was when Cousins ran. Uh, you know, I remember thinking back to Kubiak, thinking back to Stefanski, you know, when teams play a lot of man-to-man on third down, and, you know, everyone plays man-to-man against Tom Brady because if he plays zone, he'll just pick you apart. So everyone plays man, and Brady can't run, but occasionally when you get man coverage and you can run, uh, you know, that's the time, and, and Cousins did that. He got man coverage on that third down, uh, and he took off uh, for the run, and, you know, everyone's backs turned to the defense and, and guarding the receivers and tight ends, and he had, did a nice job on that uh, on that first down, on that third down. For a first down. So they always say, you know, the, the, the key of executing 
third downs is if you get that first win of the game a lot of times, then you sort of have that confidence to execute on third downs the rest of the game. And I believe the Vikings went five for seven. Yeah. Now, last year, Kirk Cousins was ranked as the worst running quarterback, both by expected points and by pro football focus's grades. But that hasn't always been the case. For the three years he was in Washington, he was more of a bottom third type of guy, but not dead last. And it seemed like last year he just didn't, maybe have the confidence to take off or know when he was supposed to or not supposed to. Um, you've said before, not a natural runner, and that's pretty obvious to everyone's eye when they see Kirk Cousins. But if you've got 20 yards to work with and it's third and seven, go ahead and take off. I remember looking at this with Bridgewater, and Teddy was not an unbelievable athlete. Case Keenum is not an unbelievable athlete, but they both just seem to have a sense for hey, there's nobody around, and I, I should really go, and they need more out of that from Cousins. The other thing, Sage, was there was no butt sweat issues. Um, tell, <laughs> tell me that you saw what Kirk Cousins said about his center's issues you know, with posterior sweat. I did see that. Uh, I did see that, and I, of course, know exactly what he's talking about. <laughs> but, you know, uh, it's the guy's 295 pounds and it's August. I don't know how you tell the guy not to sweat. So, uh, you know, Brad Johnson, he was the old quarterback. He was such a sweater. He used to wear three different pants during the game. Really? Uh, he, and I'm sorry, he would make his center. I believe he would make his center, uh, cause he hated a sweaty football, change his pants multiple oh, times wow. a game. So they would change at the end of warmups. They would change it at, at halftime. Uh, so there was always that. Uh, you know, cause you get, you get the ball, it, it's going to hit the center, you know, and then the thighs and his rear or whatever. And it's just completely soaked. <laughs> it's like putting this, we used to call it a swamp ball. Uh, and they're not always, they're not always fun to throw, but you know, I, I tell it, playing in a dome that hugely helps, you know, to not play, you know, in Miami in the preseason or, or, you know, somewhere, you know, outside warm that helps. But yeah, not an issue in this football game, but, uh, my, my guess is that, that, you know, cousin's going to have to get used to that because I don't think, uh, the Bradbury is going to have a chance to eliminate sweat from his body uh, from that occurring during these games this year. Now, I, I'm not making this up. At practice yesterday, it appeared that Garrett Bradbury, during a break, ran inside and changed his pants for the second half of practice. So um, a message received, I guess. Uh, it was one of the weirder moments uh, I can remember of anyone at a podium uh, doing a stand-up routine about the center's butt sweat. But here well, we are. Let, 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 let me tell you, the uh, once the media is no longer at practice uh, here in a few weeks, that he won't be right inside anymore. He'll just be staying there and changing. Uh, obviously with his <laughs> well, tights on before that. But I, I've seen this before. This is not uncommon uh, for a quarterback to, you know, every every person sweats a different amount, but the, the centers that do sweat a lot, uh, you can ask any quarterback that's played for a while. Shoot, even high school football, uh, you know what I'm talking about. It, it, it can be an issue, but it's not something that, you really can complain about. You just have to overcome, right? And and, and cousins going to have to overcome, and and maybe even take some some time after practice, and you know do the old Bill Parcells dip a ball in a bucket of water, and you know throw this thing and get used to throwing a ball that's uh, got some moisture on it. Football is so great. 
<laughs> right, right. Like once we think we've heard everything, and then it, it turns out that there are significant breakdowns that we can do about the center's butt sweat being a problem. Um, l- let's talk a little bit about Sean Mannion for a minute here. Uh, Sean Mannion was brought in from the Rams. He knows the system very well that they're running, and he has taken all the second team reps all the way through training camp, and I thought he played well enough to keep Kyle Sloter as the number three the other night. It's not like you expect any backup quarterback to come in and just light the world on fire, although we do have to get to the 538 article about you. Um, but but you, you didn't expect Sean Mannion to just start launching bombs down the field, but he leads a successful drive. He reads a blitz and gets the ball out quickly to BC Johnson for a touchdown. And in my mind, Sean Mannion would just have to completely melt down in these preseason games for there to be any chance he's not number two. Yeah, you know, experience is really important, that backup job. I know a lot of Vikings fans have Kyle Slaughter's sort of fan favor. He's always seemed to play well in the preseason. He played well last year. Uh, you've got that sort of extra energy that he brings to the table. He's a sort of exciting player. Um, but it's interesting when you watch those two play, and they're really almost opposites. And I also thought it was interesting with the Saints and them playing uh, with Taysom Hill, the quarterback, who's yeah. really almost more of a runner. Him and Sloter sort of reminded me of each other. You can tell they're not natural throwers. Uh, you can tell it's something they're sort of uh, you know trying to learn how to do to be a, a pro quarterback who really throws the football well. Uh, uh, but, uh, you know, Mannion is sort of the opposite of that. He is that classic tall pocket passer, you know, a guy who's not going to be a playmaker and not bring a bunch of excitement, uh, to the game. But I thought he did a couple of jobs. Obviously, there were a couple of throws there that he missed. One, I don't think, I don't think I had a chance of being intercepted in the flat route there, but it was a good play by the linebacker to knock it away. Uh, and, uh, but for the most part, I thought he did a good job executing and, and find his receivers and, uh, you know, also found a screen. They, you know, Kevin Stefanski did a nice job getting him some him some easy completion. It's always nice to have a screen, a tight end screen, uh, in the game plan for sort of an easy completion, and that went you know reeled off for about twenty five yards. And so I thought he did a nice job. If somehow Sloter overtakes him in this competition, it's going to be through four preseason games, right? You know, they're going to both going to have to try to earn this thing. But I would think Mannion's going to have to play poorly and or, and or Sloter really, really well for there to be a swap from a three to a two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, let's actually take a break and talk a little bit more about this because Kyle Sloter, his performances in preseason are now becoming the thing of legends. He, he, he just has incredible statistics, and we need to talk about an article about you in the preseason and why this might be happening for Kyle Sloter, even though his practice performance does not match up. Let's take a quick break. Sage Rosenfels for the entire hour. We're going to do this several times a week with our journeyman quarterback correspondent. Uh, we'll be right back. You're listening to Purple Daily here on Score North. Football fans, it's Mackie here for Federated Insurance. You might not know this about me, but I've been a business owner a couple different times in my life. I can relate to the roller coaster ride, the never-ending sea of problems to solve, the exhilaration of those incremental wins. If you're a business owner, I recommend getting to know Federated, which has over a century of experience in protecting businesses and making them as successful as they can be. You want a company like Federated standing behind your business. Visit federatedinsurance.com to find your local representative. Federated Mutual Insurance Company. It's our business to protect yours. 
Join Dan Terhar and myself this Wednesday for Score North's coverage of Minnesota United and the Colorado Rapids. Pre-game at 6.30 with kickoff at 7 p.m. right here on Score North on AM 1500, scorenorth.com, and the free Score North mobile app. Now back to Purple Daily. All right, back here on Purple Daily, Matthew Collar, Sage Rosenfels via the Skype machine, um, and we're going to be doing this all season long, having our journeyman quarterback correspondent break down football, and uh, he watched the preseason game. We'll get into Kyle Sloter in uh, just a second here, but um, Sage, I, I, I do want to ask you about this article on 538 that has crowned you the greatest preseason quarterback of all time. What was it? What was your reaction to being named the Tom Brady of the preseason? I'm not kidding. This is a real article that broke down your preseason stats and found you to be the best preseason quarterback. Congratulations. Well, it's nice to be all time when they've only kept preseason uh, quarterbacks going back to 2000. Or I should say, I think that's, you know, 538. Their, their research only really went, went back to 2000 because that's when the NFL what has on all their websites and everything like that. So, yeah, I was... That was my time of year. That was, uh, to me, that was me making the team. Uh, that was me, you know, you, I, what I always said, you're sort of playing for all 32 teams. Of course, you know, like Kyle Slaughter, he's playing for the Vikings, but in a way, he's playing for everybody else because the Vikings, you know, they might release him or try to put him on a practice squad and somebody else might like what they see and, and pick him up. So, you know, a lot of times the backup, the two, the three, quarterback there you know this is going to be the only time they play all year so those preseason games are are huge I was treat, treated them that way and and I didn't always practice I wasn't a great practice player uh but it seemed like in preseason games uh I I, I knew how to find a way to get it done so I, it was always to me about you know trying to score in every drive whether it's a field goal or a touchdown just trying to score points in every drive to prove that you know you know Sage was in there for four drives in this game and we scored points on three of them and, uh, and, you know, basically try to play so well that, uh, the team can't cut you. And, uh, and yeah, I, I was a good preseason quarterback and it was, it was fun for, uh, and I always knew I had pretty good stats, never really knew what they were. Uh, but it was fun to read an article of, you know, just about all those years, brought me back to a lot of preseason games and you know, doing that interview. It was fun talking about that these games that in these seasons that he would, you know, discuss with me and, and uh, the preseason is what kept me in the NFL for uh, for 12 years and got me traded really three times. Uh, it was because I played well, on the, and another team had a, a need for a quarterback that was more than my current team, and and uh, you know allowed myself to stay in the league for a long time. So you would have probably played mostly against second teams, right? Because this is a little bit different, I think, from the Kyle Sloter situation where his numbers in the preseason for Denver, for Minnesota, have been outrageous, but. As far as I could tell, he hasn't taken any reps against the second team aside from in the fourth preseason game, which I'm not even sure he took reps against the second team um, against Tennessee last year. So he's shredding third teams that are playing yeah. vanilla defenses. And it's like if you have some athleticism and arm strength, you should be able to do that. So it's, it's kind of hard to explain to people like, yeah, what you're seeing isn't really reality to, compared to what the team thinks that's seeing him in practice every day. Well, for me personally, you know, early in my career, it was more third team. Uh, I was more with the third team and those types of things. I did start a pre, the first preseason game of my second season, actually, in Osaka, Japan, with, with Steve Spurrier. Uh, but there was, for me, a lot of these, you know, second halves, fourth quarters, you know, a lot of two-minute drills. I, I tell you what, if you're, if you're the third quarterback and you're going to play the fourth quarter, 
you almost want your team losing by 10 points. So when yeah. you get, you know, I used to have, I used to have 20 throws in a quarter because we're all two minute drill trying to catch up. And, and sometimes there's easy completions and, you know, two minute drills, teams sort of, you know, bend, don't break defense. And, and the, the, you know, the safeties play deep, the corners play deep, allow for those completions to happen. So, uh, it's really all about getting completions and getting the ball, uh, in the hands of your athletes and allow them to make things happen. So, uh, and then, I'll, and that sort of earned me the right to compete for that number two job. Finally got that number two job. And, uh, and then this offense, this Gary Kubiak, uh, style of, of offense that I was in, uh, we saw all these quarterbacks execute at a really, really high level. This is, it's not like this everywhere. You, you, you'll go out and you'll find some other teams when you're watching the preseason. Uh, if you watch, watch, if you watch a lot of preseason football, you'll see in some of these games, third string quarterbacks, uh, you know, looking incompetent. Yeah. Like, looking like, man, this guy, how is this guy in the NFL? Uh, because not all offenses are, are, uh, similar. And I, this style of offense, I think allows a quarterback to come in and just sort of execute. And, and, and there's completions out there if a quarterback and uh, a team does their job and, and doesn't put too much pressure, you know, on the quarterback. And I think we saw in this football game some easy completions, some screens, some quick throws, uh, some bootleg type stuff. Uh, and then occasionally, you know, a shot down the field on a double move. All three quarterbacks played well in this football game. And, uh, you know, you, you got to earn your, you know, earn your, you earn respect also of, you know, the offensive line and your fellow team. I think Slota probably gets a lot of respect from the guys on that team, even like defensive players. Like, hey, we like when Slota goes in, man. He makes things happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that sort of, that builds, builds confidence in the quarterback, builds confidence in the sort of the team, uh, you know, around that quarterback. And so, yeah, he may not be a very good practice player. But when he goes in there, you can just sort of see that confidence uh, rise amongst you know sort of everybody on the football team. Uh, and for some people, it might be always oh, the fourth quarter; it's over. But these guys are excited because you know Slaughter does a nice job of uh, sort of making things happen. So the question would be here: it, Would it make sense to keep Kyle Slaughter? It's very clear that they want Sean Mannion to be the backup, and and Mannion is what they're hoping, uh, how you described a good backup quarterback, is if the starter is out for four games, you can win two of them. Come in and just play 500 football, keep a season alive, and then go from there. But with Sloter, we don't know if he could do that. I mean, I think we have a better sense for Sean Mannion, the fact that he's gotten in some NFL games and been a backup for Sean McVay and for Jared Goff. And I chatted with Mannion the other day. Really bright guy, really understands the game super well. So if you're deciding to put Kyle Sloter ahead of him, you're taking more of a risk, I think. Um, but also, maybe there is an argument to keep Kyle Sloter on the team. Uh, may- maybe your starting quarterback gets hurt in the first half and you're down 21 points. Like, would you want Sean Mannion or would you just try Kyle Sloter and see what happens? Uh, but there's also a lot of battles going on for position on this team. And is it really worth it to keep a number three quarterback? I, well, I'm biased, of course, and, and I was lucky that when I came to the league in the early 2000s that almost everybody kept three quarterbacks. Yeah. It wasn't this, you know, two quarterbacks in the roster, one in the practice squad thing. A lot of teams kept three quarterbacks. There was a, a true belief in the development of that position, and I think allowed guys like me who were, you know, made the team as a third stringer and it may, may have taken three or four years to develop, but, you know, college football in the NFL – uh, and in particular, you know, different colleges who don't run NFL type schemes, it's a, it's quite the jump and a lot of times takes years of development. So, you know, maybe Slaughter's never a starter for the Vikings. I don't see that ever happening, but you know what? Maybe he plays well as the third string guy for a couple of years here. 
uh, and they make him an offer to be the backup, you know, two years from now. And he's been in a lot of football games. He's been in this offense and he sort of is, you know, is, he's really improved his game and, uh, from being a very, very raw player in college to now, Hey, we think this guy can be our backup. So, uh, I think when you compare the two, I, I'd like to have all three guys on the team as of right now. Again, we're only through one preseason game, you know, but you know, Mannion is sort of your, this guy can, we think he can execute the offense. He's got experience. He's been in some huge games out there with the Rams, obviously had good coaching in his past and Sloter's sort of this wild card that, you know, maybe he's not an, you know, quote unquote executor type guy, like a cousins type guy, but he's sort of electric and a playmaker and, and he can change things up a little bit. So. Uh, you know, it, it's really up to Slaughter for me to, uh, you know, he needs to really prove it to the coaches, uh, that he can really be a good executing quarter, quarterback. And sounds like to me, he has to play better in practice. And everyone says that he's not a great practice player. Uh, he's just sort of a gamer. And, uh, if he can improve his, his practice efficiency and come out there every single day and not be sort of a, a roller coaster of some days good and some days bad, but, you know, just try to be more consistent, that would, help him move up the ranks from a three to two guy. Yeah, and there are other things that we don't know how well he does in meetings and stuff like that. I would imagine Kirk Cousins and Sean Mannion, um, having just talked with both of them, get along super well when it comes to breaking down the game because they're just both really bright guys and seem to be very engaged and love to talk about football. I don't know if Kyle Sloter falls into that same category. I'm not saying he doesn't, but there has to be a reason why they wouldn't definitively trust him as the number two. Um, yeah, well, this is where, this is where all the media, you know, people like ourselves, it's, we, not that we you know, speculate, I guess, but it's hard to, you, we don't know everything, right? right? We're not in those mean rooms. And that's why you have to just, you know, sort of, I guess, sort of trust, uh, you know, Stefanski and, and Zimmer and Spielman, the people that see him every single day. And, and, you know, know, know uh, how he carries himself in the building, you know, all, all those types of things. We know very little, but pretty much what we see in some practices and, and, and preseason games. So uh, we'll see how this thing pans out over the course of the next month. Sage Rosenfels, Matthew Collar here on Purple Daily. Let me ask you about Teddy Bridgewater. I, I, I mean, I, he looked to me like Teddy Bridgewater. It was moving around pretty well. He took a low Well, you know why hit. he did? He looked like Teddy Bridgewater because he is Teddy Bridgewater. That could be why. That's great analysis, <laughs> Sage. That's why we have you here. Um, but, but I mean, he was accurate, and the ball had a little bit more zip on it, I thought. I mean, even his throwing motion looked a little bit improved from what it looked like in 2015. And I think it's legit. Everyone in New Orleans is saying that um, the Saints want Teddy Bridgewater to be their future quarterback. Mike Zimmer sort of revealed that he and Sean Payton had talked, and Sean Payton said, yeah, I want him to be our quarterback after Drew Brees. And what just... What an incredible feeling it must be for guys on the sideline who were standing there when Bridgewater got hurt in 2016 to see him out there doing the two-minute Teddy thing and driving them down the field and and leading a touchdown drive. I think it must have been incredible for those guys who played for the Vikings and for Mike Zimmer even. I'm sure he was mad at his defense for a bunch of reasons, but uh, just the feeling of seeing Bridgewater playing in a game right there in front of them and leading a touchdown drive must have been really cool. And I, and I thought, Sage, that he looked like a starting quarterback when he was in. He did. You know, I was sort of thinking back to when Teddy came back. I'm trying to think of the season, that you know, the year after the the injury, and he played a little bit at the end of the season. Cincinnati 2017, uh, yeah. That's right, Cincinnati game. And, and he, you know, he didn't look very comfortable. You yeah. know what I mean? You could sort of tell he'd been out of football, hadn't been in the, 
in, in the chaos of the pockets, and he looked a little uncomfortable. Last night, he looked very comfortable. He did look like the old Teddy Bridgewater, of uh, you know, accurate on his throws and, and took a couple shots. Great back shoulder throw down the sideline to Grayson. Uh, you know, did a nice job buying a little time in the pocket. Uh, he was getting a lot of pressure from that Vikings defensive line. He's one of those guys that sort of makes the offensive line look better than they are sometimes. And I thought he did a nice job in that game. So, uh, you know, the question is, how long is Drew Brees going to play? Uh, is this going to be it for him? Mm-hmm. Uh, he is 40 years old now. Uh, he's, he's, he's same draft class as myself, but uh, he did not redshirt. So he's a year actually younger than me. So. He's 40, and, and uh, you know, will he play one more year, two more years? Is it like Tom Brady, where they both might, they both might play until they're 45 years old? Well, you know, Teddy Bridgewater is not going to wait for five more years. So, you know, there's going to be a probably a one-year contract every time. And, you know, for a backup, he's making, a, I, I believe, like $10 million bucks yep. uh, yeah. or something like that. Somewhere in that range. I think it's seven and a half, maybe. Seven and a half. So, you know, and th- so that team is obviously allocating, you know, 30 to $35 million at the quarterback position. So, which is fairly high, uh, in the NFL. So the question is, you know, when is Drew going to retire? And, and I can very much see, I mean, why wouldn't you want to play in, in Sean Payton's offense? It's, it's obviously been a lot of Drew Brees, but Sean's one of the better offensive minds in the game. And, and, uh, they've got great young players around him. You know, of all the teams, I, you know, almost more than the Patriots, I got to think that situation for a quarterback uh, is a super, t- super tasty one to, to step into uh, if and when the uh, the older guys retire. Yeah, I saw some people on Twitter because every time Teddy Bridgewater does anything, says anything, makes a practice throw that ends up as a highlight, um, it just sparks a debate in Minnesota Twitter where some people never believed he was going to be a great quarterback, and then, of course, there are people who believed he was going to be a Hall of Fame quarterback, and it sort of goes back and forth. Um, I, I think the debate is over when Sean Payton says he wants you as his long-term quarterback of whether Teddy Bridgewater is good or not. Um, well, but, I, I think it, I think it goes down to, we've talked about this many times, accuracy and decision-making. Yeah. You know, when you're discussing college guys or pro guys and you know people talk about the big arm and he's athletic and this that and the other accuracy and decision making uh and teddy's a heck of an athlete and he makes good decisions you know he, he rarely turns the ball over you know the nfl is not a game where it's about throwing for 400 yards every week it's about managing the game and what is the quarterback doing to help this team win and he does all these little things that don't always end up in the stat sheet and that's why really good offensive minds like Sean Payton love him. So what else uh, did you fill up your notebook with from the Vikings preseason opener? Did you have something else that really stuck out to you? Mike Zimmer was not happy with his defensive secondary performance, as you would expect from Mike Zimmer. Uh, he talked yesterday about how guys were lining up in the wrong spots and called it mind-blowing. And so um, maybe uh, maybe the defense would be something we would talk about. But I, I just feel like, Sage, that this team on the offensive side might have some interesting uh, depth players like Alexander Madison. On the defensive side, it's just less so that Eric Wilson might be a good defensive uh, player whose who's depth if – uh, Eric Hendricks or Anthony Bargo's down. But beyond that, especially in the secondary, I think that there should be a pretty significant concern that if Trey Waynes or Xavier Rhodes or Mackenzie Alexander gets dinged up, that they are just in trouble. Well, yeah, obviously they're thin at the quarterback or cornerback uh, position uh, for, for various reasons once the season starts. So, yes, that I, I believe that's a concern. 
uh, you know, that for me in this game, you sort of saw it, uh, you know, they didn't start their first two defensive linemen, uh, in, in the game. And so they went with backups and it felt like to me, uh, the Saints were getting some good push up the middle. You know, you're seeing runs that just sort of mushed forward for four and five yards. And, uh, you really got to try to eliminate that because, you know, then teams are in, you know, third and short situations or second and five. Those are great places to be in as an offensive play caller. And, uh, you know, the Vikings secondary, uh, it, it's, it's hard to cover, you know, man to man when, when, when the offense can do anything they want. So you get in third and longer situations. You know, that's when the corners are, you know, look can look really good. Obviously, you get the pass rush uh, with your defensive ends and those types of guys. So that's something we got to always be talking about, I think. You know, are, are just regular old zone runs, are they getting four, five, six yards? Uh, or, you know, guys like Limbo when they're, you know, playing the real season, are they going to stop that and enforce teams in third and long situations? So, uh, yeah, I think it's got to be a little, con- and not really concerning, but, you know, uh, you, you say, talk about that first team defense and, you know, te- they really scored a touchdown. There was a holding penalty on a run for a touchdown. Yeah. End up getting a field, and they can get a field goal out of it. But you would say that, you know, the first team offense scored a touchdown. The first team defense really gave up a touchdown and their only drive against the backup quarterback, mm-hmm. you know, and he had Kamara out there. He had, uh, their good wide receiver out there. They're playing all their starters, just not the quarterback. So, uh, you got to give a, a minus to that starting defense, uh, whether it's stopping the run or obviously preventing the other team from scoring, they gave up, uh, you know, points, a field goal, but really they actually gave up a touchdown. Well, somebody asked me today just whether I thought the defense was actually going to be top five again, or if the ages of some of these guys were going to catch up with them. And I keep going back and forth on this one, Sage, because Mike Zimmer is such an accomplished defensive mind uh, that usually even when things have gone wrong, like last year, Xavier Rhodes goes down for a little bit and Holton Hill all of a sudden steps in and plays pretty well as a guy who was undrafted, uh, maybe more talented than that, but still a rookie who stepped in, plays real well, and they still end up fourth in the NFL in yards against in defense. And so there's a part of me that says, well, you know, you can't be overly concerned with any of these things. But you mentioned Linval. The fact that he hasn't really been out there practicing yet, aside from individual drills, and his age compared to that, and the fact that Sheldon Richardson left you, you you combine that with, is Xavier Rhodes going to bounce back? Is Harrison Smith going to be the same guy as he gets a little older? Is Everson Griffin going to be the same guy? I do think it's worth being concerned that this won't be a top five defense, but I wouldn't say that it'll be anything worse than 10. No, I think they'll be a good defense, and, and they still could be great, but you are right. I mean, NFL players in general... Uh, you know, you usually don't slowly go downhill. You sort of fall off the cliff. So, you know, all these guys that have had these really big contracts that have earned them and played extremely well over the course of the last four to six years, uh, for the Vikings, you know, is this the year where, you know, age sort of, ca- you know, catches up to them? A lot of guys are around 30 years old in that, uh, in that group. So, you know, of all the guys in the Vikings defense, to be honest with you, I think Harrison Smith to me, is the guy that would concern me the most if he, you know, tore his ACL mm-hmm. sometime this season. I think he is one super talented, but is sort of like also a glue guy. He's just sort of always there to either save the day or to make a big play or, uh, to get a interception at the right time. He's that one guy, uh, who has been phenomenal. And we sort of overlooked the fact that he almost never misses a football game. Yeah. Uh, and if the Vikings lost him this year, uh, or his play all of a sudden just fell off because of his age, 
uh, that, uh, you know, that would be concerning. But yeah, I, I see them still being a very, very good defense. Uh, but to me, it does. It starts with that stopping the run first. And so you can get in those third and long situations, you know, during those really good defenses from, you know, that, you know, so that 2009 team I was on, you know, Pat Williams and Kevin Williams were absolute studs up the middle. And they, I think they were number one ranked in run defense for three years in a row, hmm. uh, which then allowed, you know, Jared Allen to be so phenomenal in the past, right? So, uh, you know, to me, that is where it starts that, that those interior guys along the defensive line for this Vikings defense, those guys have got to have a great year stopping the run first. All right, Sage, let's take a quick break. And I have to ask you about football helmets when we return here. You are listening to Purple Daily. We'll be right back on Score North. 244 here at Score North. Time for the Score North download. This download brought to you by My Pillow. Let's start off here from Friday night. The Vikings, 54% conversion rate in the red zone last season. Cousins will be under center, three tight end set. Madison, the third round pick in the backfield, and a rollout to Cousins and an easy pitch and catch. Alex Anzalone trailing, nowhere to be found, and Alexander Madison has his first touchdown as a professional. Alexander Madison opened up the scoring Friday night for the Vikings as they go on to to beat the New Orleans Saints 34-25. to he ended up rushing for 30 of the 213 rushing yards the Vikings had that night. And Zimmer was asked Sunday about Alexander Madison and the running back situation the Vikings have. And he was pretty positive saying this. I think Madison's got a really bright future, okay? I think the other two guys can help in change of pace situations. You know, Madison's going to have to continually work on his pass protection. We didn't want to put him in there the other night just because of some of the things might happen. But the other two guys, you know, are smaller guys that they're going to have to, if they're going to be in there on third downs, they're going to have to block bigger guys. And so that's going to be their their deal as well. So that part of it, I think we feel like they all can run. They're all smart. They're smart enough to run the offense and things like that. It'll come down to third downs and those areas. That's been your score on our download. Now back to Purple Daily. All right, one final segment with our journeyman quarterback correspondent, Sage Rosenfels, and uh, there's some intriguing drama going on with Antonio Brown, which people were all over me the other day because I had made the case for the Vikings to trade for Antonio Brown, and then since (laughs) then, he has frozen his feet, and then now he's holding out for a helmet issue. He's trying to get a waiver to be able to use his helmet that he's had for a very long time and other veteran players have switched to a new helmet which they say they don't necessarily like but they're just having to deal with and um so my theory here is sage uh, it could go either way you could have antonio brown say you know what i made enough money in my career and i'm just gonna chill from now on and that's it and kind of pull like a barry sanders type of thing or this could just be to get out of training camp. No veteran player wants to go to training camp who's been around this long. So it, I, I don't know which way this is going to go. But what do you make of Antonio Brown's helmet gate, if you will? Well, well, you know how we're talking about, you know, we don't know what Kyle Sloter's like in the locker room or in meetings or how he takes in information. He's just sort of a gamer. Like, we don't know what the Steelers were having to deal with for the last uh, eight or nine years or whatever and, and, and dealing with him. And obviously they were okay with letting him go, uh, and not paying him the 20, you know, plus million dollar a year contract. And they let him go. They got some draft picks and now the Raiders have, uh, it seems like to me, you know, they've traded for somebody who is a lot to deal with. You know, I mean, 
doesn't wear the correct footwear, has frostbite. I mean, that's a whole conversation that we'll see if that's a, a long-term issue. I don't, I don't know all the details of frostbite, but, you know, I, I don't think you recover quickly, if ever, from that. Uh, you know, you get to get the feeling back in your toes and your feet. And for a wide receiver, your feet are they're sort of everything. We always mm-hmm. talk about their hands, but, man, their feet. And one of the things he does so well is stop and go and start and stop and uh, his ability to go full speed and throw on the brakes. Uh, and if his feet are not 100%, uh, he's not going to be the same player. So sometimes I wonder if this is sort of one of those uh, smoke screens of, you know, let's not talk about his feet and the fact that he didn't practice for 10 days and throw some crazy other thing out there that he refuses to wear this helmet and just to sort of divert the attention from the frostbite thing. You know, that's sort of a conspiracy theory that I've been seeing on Twitter a little bit. But uh, he's obviously a handful to deal with. Um, you know, I had a certain helmet that I liked when I was, you know, playing quarterback. And I remember everyone was starting to make this transition to these new helmets that were designed better. They were lighter, had a little more surface area, supposedly better for concussions. And, and some guys didn't want to change those. And, and finally they sort of are, you know, actually mandated mm-hmm. that everyone has to do it. So Tom Brady's another guy in the same boat. You know, he doesn't like it either, but he's, you know, not, not going to put up a fight and, and make some big controversy out of it. And, and Antonio Brown seems to be a, a lot of work, a lot to deal with. And again, there's a reason the Pittsburgh Steelers gave him up for some draft picks, despite the fact that he's a phenomenal player. It is a bizarre situation. I would say that Oakland just didn't give up a whole lot. So if this does blow up in their face, then it was worth taking a swing and having one of the best receivers in the NFL. If this was a guy who was like the 20th best wide receiver, I would say, yeah, don't even worry about it. But he's like the second best wide receiver, assuming that his feet, I don't know, thaw out or whatever, right? I mean, assuming that that's not a super serious thing with his feet, then he's still going to be one of the best receivers in the NFL. And I, I guess... I just wouldn't be surprised, Sage, if this turns out to be a big sort of nothing. Like, he's going to fight yeah. it, and then it's it's something we laughed at for a day, and that's it. Like, this happens a lot in the NFL, like, especially this time of year. And, yeah, it could be a thing where he you know prefers not to practice too much for those first few weeks. I remember Brett Favre, like, showed up basically for the third preseason game, uh, both of his, you know, two years in Minnesota, and, and played, you know, pretty dang well that first year. So uh, it could just all be sort of a smokescreen for him to not want to practice and, and, uh, but you know, the difference between Antonio Brown and Barry Sanders, you know, Barry Sanders was one of those sort of quiet guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. who you, you, you know, probably football wasn't everything for him. You know, he was great at it and it was what he was doing and he was solely focused on it. But it seems like to me, uh, you know, he wasn't obsessed with the sport. Maybe it's like Antonio Brown. I, he's one of those wide receiver guys who would, it seems like really loves the spotlight. Yeah. Really oh, yeah. loves the attention. So him, you know, on that Jeff Darlington ESPN interview saying, you know, I don't need football. Uh, I like doing football. I don't need to have it. I disagree. I think mm-hmm. Antonio Brown needs football. I think he loves the spotlight. I think he loves being out there when, when the lights are on in front of the you know, 70,000 people. I think he absolutely you know, loves being in front of the camera. So uh, him retiring and sort of going away uh, is just not going to happen. Yeah, I think you're right. I, I think he's going to find a way back just mysteriously uh, to get the helmet issue resolved just in time for the regular season. And this has happened, like you mentioned, with Favre. I remember Michael Strahan sitting out a bunch of 
preseason and everyone freaking out, and then they went and won the Super Bowl. The Giants did, I think, in one of his last seasons. So, you know, it's one of those things that we might remember for a day, and Twitter just blows everything up way um, more than it usually would if we didn't have Twitter. So we feel like, oh, this is the craziest thing that's ever happened, and then it goes away. Like well, it is day. odd. It, it definitely is odd. odd. And, and, and I think to, if it was just sort of a standalone, you know, one instance and, you know, that, that's unusual. But when you add it to the things you saw in interviews, uh, uh you know, during that time where he was trying to get out of Pittsburgh, I mean, yeah. he didn't even play in the playoff game or the, they had a game to win to go to the playoffs and he like didn't even basically gave up on his teammates. Yep. And, um, and so you saw all this erratic behavior, you know, he, he changed his name to Mr. Big Chest or something like that for a <laughs> while, I feel like, yeah, yeah. but there was all these sort of strange things going on. And, uh, and then you add this to it, it, it doesn't seem like a standalone insta- uh, instance and, and, you know, he's an unusual guy. And, uh, I, I think that type of sort of erratic behavior, I guess, uh, is not conducive to, Winning football games. Coaches don't like it. The players don't like it. Everyone's looking for this consistency every single day. And, uh, he seems to be a wild card. And, uh, you know, John Gruden gets to deal with them. I think that, uh, uh, it's a sort of a fitting, perfect team to have an unusual player like this in the <laughs> Oakland Raiders and John Gruden. Um, the Vikings play the Raiders in week three, and my prediction would be that Antonio Brown is absolutely on the field in week three, but, um, just before we wrap up the hour here, quick take from you about Gruden and Oakland. Do you think it's going to work? I mean, since he got there, everything has been basically people laughing at John Gruden. The first year is absolutely brutal, but he also took over a team that was not in very good shape. They trade Khalil Mack. That doesn't help. They're moving to Vegas. I'm sure no one's happy about that. I mean, it, it has just been tumultuous already for John Gruden, and then they add Antonio Brown to the mix I mean, I I think he's kind of in tough. So what you, almost whether you like him or not, it's not an easy situation to win. Well, it's a, it's a sort of they're playing the long game there. You know, it's a marathon, ten year, hundred million dollar contract for Gruden, and so uh, I, I think there's going to be a lot of ups and downs, and you know, trying to reconfigure that roster and Gruden get back into the game of football after being out of it for nine or ten years, and the game consistently changes offense and defense consistently changes. And uh, so there's a lot going on with that team. Uh, they may or may not win this year. I, I don't think so. That That is a very, very tough division. I actually think the Denver Broncos are going to be a better football team this year. I think Vic Fangio is really good. And I like their offense. I think Flacco might do well. You know, it's a very similar offense there. Flacco, Kirk Cousins, right? Sort mm-hmm. of similar type of guys. Flacco, probably had a bigger arm and has been in a lot of playoff games and won a lot of playoff games, won a Super Bowl. So I think they're in a tough division, uh, you know, Kansas State Chiefs as well. So I, uh, I, I think they're going to be a, I can see them being a five, six win team. Uh, and who knows with Derek Carr at quarterback, if, you know, this might be his one year, you know, this might be his second year there with Gruden and, and that's the end of it. And they move on from there. So they're building this thing for the long run. That's where they gave up uh, Kelly O'Max. They got some first round draft picks out of it and, and now they just want to start drafting guys, I guess, fit their system or, or they can sort of, you know, mold in their own way and hopefully win down the road. All right. Last one for you, Sage, before we wrap up. Uh, only two of 17 challenges 
in the preseason week one of pass interference were actually overturned. Is this going to, are we all going to be okay? You think like, are we, is this going to make us all want to jump off tall buildings? Are we going to survive? Do you like this? Because I, I thought it was sort of hysterical watching the challenges that were made by Sean Payton and Mike Zimmer. Like guys, the, this is not what they're talking about. Those are not getting overturned. Okay. Yeah, well, you know, what's interesting is, uh, and I didn't watch, of course, all the preseason games, but I watched my fair share in the game. I didn't really have an interest in I had to watch a quarter or a half. A lot of coaches were challenging, you know, these pass interference calls. I think they're all just sort of, you know, throwing out their fishing line and going, well, let's, you know, let's see what they come up with here. You know, it's almost like to test the league to make sure, uh, you know, the league, uh, I guess, uh, knows what they're getting themselves into. Uh, you know, it seems like every go route, uh, that is a, you know, a 50-50 ball, as they call it, with the receiver and the DB. There's always contact. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think they're just trying, trying to say, you know, let's see if the officials or uh, the official in New York, uh, would, let's see what decision they make, uh, you know, on that sort of 50-50 ball where a lot of times you can call uh, pass interference on the offense when it was actually called on the defense. You know, they're always sort of scrapping for, for ground and things like that. So to me, it's a lot of these coaches are, they wouldn't do it in a regular season. Uh, but they're doing sure. it now just to sort of, you know, make sure we see what, uh, and what, how the NFL is going to call it because you could call pass interference on offense and defense. It seems like on almost, you know, every type of, uh, pass play. So we'll see how this goes. It is annoying though to challenge something that is just sort of like a 50 50, you right. know, type ball. You know what I mean? So yeah. uh, it's not a turnover. It's not a, a key first down. Uh, so it's sort of annoying to stop the game and go spend. You know, two or three minutes looking into the deal and, and seeing if it's, a, you know, seeing what the officials come up with. So to me, it's a lot of these uh, coaches are just sort of testing the waters of how they're going to call it this year. Yeah. And maybe the NFL wanted them to. I mean, maybe it was one of those things like challenge everything and then help the referees get a good sense for how this is going to work. So, um, Sage, awesome stuff. We're going to be doing this all the time, three times a week. You and I uh, will get together for an hour, talk Vikings football break down the tape. We're going to grind it. Uh, it's going to be super fun. So um, appreciate your time today. We'll take a quick break. We'll be right back. Judd Zolgad is very worked up about the special teams, as you might expect. So we will discuss with Judd when we return. You are listening to Purple Daily here on Score North. This holiday, whether you're making a Baker's Simple Truth Turkey for 40 or a Murray's Baked Brie for two, Baker's has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup so you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone. This holiday season, Peloton's got a gift for you. Right now, get up to $200 off accessories with the purchase of a Peloton Tread. Accessories like non-slip grip resistance bands, a heart rate monitor, yoga blocks, and more. Take your workout to the next level with Peloton, motivation that moves you. Hurry, this limited time offer ends December 25th. Visit OnePeloton.com to learn more. All access memberships separate. Offer ends December 25th. Cannot be combined with other offers. See additional terms at OnePeloton.com.